This is Perspectives, the show where an examination of our many differences often show us how much we have in common. I'm Condis Presley. New York socialite Caroline Faraday has her hands full with her post at the French consulate, but on the eve of a fateful war, her world is forever changed when Hitler's army invades Poland. It's September 1939, and then the army sets its sights on France. An ocean away from Caroline, there's a Polish teenager who senses her carefree youth disappearing as she is drawn deeper into her role as a courier for the underground resistance movement. In a tense atmosphere of watchful eyes and suspecting neighbors, one false move could have absolutely dire consequences. It's just a sneak peek into a story that is inspired by the life of a real World War II heroine. And in our studio is the woman who has written this book. It is a New York Times bestseller. It is surprisingly, not surprisingly that it's a New York Times bestseller, but it is Martha Hall Kelly's first novel. And she's in our studio. She's going to tell us where the story of Lilac Girls came from. And what I love, Martha, is that you live here in Atlanta, but you are on uh, yeah, well, just, you just tell us the story, how this story came to be. Congratulations on the success, though. Oh, thank you so much. I'm still kind of pinching myself. Um, I never intended on writing a novel or anything, really. I really wanted to go to this house. I lived in Connecticut, and I wanted to go up to this house that I had seen in Victoria Magazine back in the old days when Victoria was... Um, uh, still around. They're back now, but uh, I had cut out an article, and the headline in the article was Caroline's Incredible Lilacs, and I love lilacs, so I wanted to go up to see this house that is now a museum, because when she passed away, Caroline Faraday left her home to the Connecticut landmarks, and one gray Mother's Day, after my mother passed away, my husband said, why don't you go up to that house and finally see it. And I did. And I'm so glad that I did, or I, I would not be sitting here right now. Um, I I was the only one on the tour that day. And I loved the tour. I got to ask every question. And at the end of the tour, it lets out onto the landing outside of Caroline's bedroom on the second floor. And they have her desk there just as she left it. And there's her big old Remington manual typewriter that she used so well to fight um, injustice er everywhere because uh, she, she um, fought many, many different causes. And she had a photograph on her desk of, oh, 50 or so uh, middle-aged women. And I asked the tour guide, who are those people? And she said, oh, those are the rabbits. Those were um, a group of survivors of Ravensburg concentration camp who had been experimented on there mm. and they had been called the rabbits because the Nazis nicknamed them that because after the surgeries which were done to their legs they hopped around the camp and also because they were their laboratory animals so uh, and she said Caroline brought those women to the United States in the 1950s for out from behind the Iron Curtain she had to fight the Soviet Union to bring them to the US and she brought them here um, as much to have them rehabilitated as to um, make a PR statement because uh, Germany had not given the women reparations. So, um, and she succeeded in her goal um, in spades. Uh, she brought them to the U.S. And so I went home that night back down to my house in Connecticut when I lived up there, and I just thought, how could that story just get lost? And 
I started going up there to do research because she has three archives, but one is in the basement of her um, home in the old root cellar. And I used to just go up there and kind of soak her in for years before I decided to write a book. And they would just let you come in and peruse the materials and you were just captivated by the story. Absolutely. Anyone can go there if you make an appointment. You can uh, research in her archives. She also has one in Paris that I've been to, which is lovely, a really nice reason to go to Paris. And then um, a third one at the U.S. Holocaust Museum. And it's fascinating. And the story was a time capsule in a way because it just kind of got lost. And I think it would probably still be there waiting for somebody if I hadn't kind of stumbled on it. And you did. And you've turned it into a piece of historical fiction. Yes, I did. Although that that story um, is kind of a strange one. I just went to dinner with my husband in New York one night and another couple and the female half of the couple. Uh, we started talking and I hadn't told anyone about my research because I thought they might think I was crazy, uh, kind of <laughs> obsessed with this woman. Uh, but I shared it with this woman uh, named Betty Sargent. And I she said, oh, well, I have a new Polish daughter-in-law, and I think this could be a novel. And by the way, did I tell you I'm a book editor? And I said, no, uh-uh. I had no idea. And really? She said, oh, and, by, and by the way, I'm a book editor. <laughs> it was so strange. And um, she said, all I need is a chapter. And so at the time, I thought, I've never written anything. I can't write a novel. That's crazy. So, but I, it kind of reson- you know, kind of tumbled around in my head a little bit, and then my husband was um, accepted a job down here at the Weather Channel, and um, we were all excited and came down here. Um, and I dropped my son off at high school one morning at Paideia, and I went through the Starbucks drive-through and got my usual decaf cappuccino. But the barista gave me a caffeinated one by mistake, and I went home and just started. I, it it just kind of came out. I just started writing, and so I sent Betty her one chapter, and then she said, well, keep going. This is great, and I did, and I had to go to Germany and Poland to, because I had the New England voice down, um, because I grew up there, but I had to go to uh, Poland to see Lublin, Poland, which is where um, the women that were experimented on, the so-called rabbits, were from, where they were arrested from working in the underground. So that was fascinating. And then I went to uh, Ravensburg concentration camp after my son and I took the same train ride that the women were forced to take once they were arrested from Warsaw to Berlin and from Berlin up to Furstenberg, which is a a lovely little town um, where Ravensburg is. So Ravensburg really helped me um, uh, understand the the character of Hertha, who is um, the uh, German doctor, surgeon, um, that is one of the three point of view characters in the book. Before you became a New York Times bestselling author with your very first novel, you say you'd never written anything before? I was an advertising copywriter. Actually, I worked in um, Atlanta at McCann Erickson for a little while, and I got my start at JWT in uh, J. Walter Thompson in uh, Chicago. I worked in New York, but I retired after my third child. Um, I, you know, 30 seconds is not a lot of time. I was going to say, yes, <laughs> you know, if you were an advertising copywriter, to go from a 30-second spot to Lilac Girls, which is, let's see, let's see, I'm chapter 47, chapter 48, where are we at? 487 pages. Wow. Oh, it was heaven to be able to just write like that. But I think that part of um, why people like the book is um, 
I, from advertising, I learned how to be concise and not to get too, um, you know, every word counts. So I, I think that shows in the book. Tell me about the day when you finished the last chapter and in your head metaphorically said, boom, the end. Wow. Well, I wrote it in a vacuum, kind of. My husband read chapters and my daughter read chapters. Um, but I, I never knew if anyone would be interested in the story. And I, I was kind of haunted by that because I spent a, maybe five years writing it and many more years actually uh, researching it. So finally, my husband said, you have to stop and uh, query, which I, I had never even known that that's how you um, get a book published is you um, query agents. And so I said, you know what, you're right. Um, and I queried five agents and uh, I got four offers of representation. So that was really uh, surreal. And because uh, I figured I'd have to really work for years to try and find an agent. And, but or you'd self-publish like so many I definitely authors would have done do that. today. Yes. yes, I would have maybe queried five more and then gone to self-publishing because why not? Uh, and the agent that I went with asked me, um, she said she'd represent me, but she wanted me to rewrite the Herta character, the German character. So I spent a year studying national socialism and you know the indoctrination into the BDM, which is the female um, Hitler youth. And I'm glad I did because people people really like that character and well not like her but um, they enjoy reading from her point of view what it was like to be a Nazi doctor at the camp. So when you sit down at your computer to to tell these stories, talk to us about where your head goes and how you find yourself writing in the voice of the women from whose points of view you tell these stories. Well, I love doing that. It's almost like being an actress because for me, I write in scenes and uh, it's so much fun to set up a scene and then see how it plays out. And sometimes it plays out the way you think it will. Sometimes it doesn't. But I loved getting into the heads of all three women. One is Caroline, a socialite. So that was a lot of fun to be in New York City in 1939. And, um, you know, she she was a former Broadway actress and really interesting woman. And those scenes were always a joy. And then, of course, writing from Herta's point of view uh, wasn't as bad as it sounds. I, I think that, um, you know, I tried to really make her human. And um, seeing the, the concentration camp from her point of view was really interesting, too. And then the third point of view is Kasia Kuzmerik, who is 16 at the time she's arrested for being a courier in the underground in Poland. And I loved writing her chapters, too, because um, she had this incredible family. And even, and, and part of them, sadly, go to the concentration camp with her. Um, but she, I, I wanted to bring her struggle to people and really have them understand what these rabbits went through. And so, really, that was my mission. And um, it, every minute of it was just a joy. I was reading some of the reviews out there from just people who have read the book and who are astonished that such a compelling story had not been told until you became obsessed with it. That has to be greatly rewarding for you. Oh, it's so, that's such a good word for it. I'm, it's so rewarding, so validating, because I did spend so much time wondering, will anyone care about this anymore? I, in her archives, in Caroline's archives, I found two manuscripts that she had tried to get published, and they were um, written by some of the rabbits, these, these Polish women that were experimented on. 
And she she was so good at documenting everything. Paperclip to each manuscript is all the uh, rejection letters from publishers and Caroline's apology to them. And in it, she said, I'm so sorry. America is just not interested in your story. And it was it was so sad to me. And I just thought, if I can get people interested in the story, I feel like I'm going to be doing it for Caroline because that's what she wanted. This reads to me as a story that can be cast and I would hope for you option into something that not only do we read this very rich story in the pages of your book, but then for all those other people out there who don't read and it's literacy month, y'all should be reading. <laughs> I, I, see, I see it on the big screen. This oh. reads like something that you know, a Spielberg could do. Uh, I, I I agree. I, I think that um, it is a very cinematic story, and that would be wonderful. My husband and I have cast it over dinner many, many times. Oh, do tell. Do share. <laughs> oh, he he thinks that, um, uh, I don't remember her name, the actress Mary from Downton Abbey would make a great Caroline. Hmm. And I've always thought either um, Nicole Kidman, mm-hmm. because she does that kind of prickly thing really well, and Caroline was, you know, very kind of a little prickly um and of course Kate Blanchett can do anything this and, is true but there's a portrait at the house and everyone it, it's relatively new because she had Caroline had given it to her French maid and the, and um she gave it back to the house and it's a gorgeous portrait you can see it on my website uh and everyone that comes into the house says it looks like Anne Hathaway hmm. yeah so I I mean Anne Hathaway already looks like her, so she would be great. And then I've always thought of Kate Winslet as Matka. She is the mother in the book, who uh, Akash's mother. I don't know if it's a big enough part, but I, when I was writing it, I, I thought of her. But um, you know, they talk about not enough parts for women in Hollywood, and yes, I mean, this they is do. all women. That's so. what I noticed. Yes, and <laughs> it's a tremendous are... <laughs> story. It is, and I, I think it really resonates with people. And it's weirdly, even though this was seventy years ago. It's very current in terms of um, including people. And at the time, um, America was very isolationist. And here is a woman with all the money in the world who could do anything. And she spent her days bringing this group of Polish Catholic women to the United States when um, they weren't really, um, they would, would otherwise not have been embraced. And she really worked it hard. And she went to Norman Cousins at the Saturday Review and he um, started writing about them, and they did a campaign, and America just poured out. They, they sent money in. This was before you know the campaigns you can do online, and um, they, America funded it. So she got America excited about it, which is, is a wonderful thing in light of everything that's happening today with refugees. And, um, it, and the incredible good. debate that's ongoing right now about immigration and, and people coming into the United States because— the tone in some places now is somewhat isolationist as it was at the at the time of Caroline's in Caroline's day. It's weirdly the same. Yeah, I saw two of the rabbits at um, the 70th anniversary of the liberation of Ravensbrook, and I was lucky enough to get to talk to them because my friend Stacy Fitzgerald is shooting a documentary about the true story, and they were just like these angels. I, I it's hard to describe. Everyone was trying to take selfies with them and. All the kids were kissing them, and, and it these was women are about how old now? They're nine in their mid nineties. Okay, yeah. yeah, and they're in wheel. One of them was in a wheelchair. One was walking around the camp, 
And I asked um, Stasha, uh, one of the rabbits, um, you know, this must be really hard for you because, you know, to come back to the camp and everything. And she said, no, I had to let that go. And she said, the only, because it only hurts you to hold on to that pain. And she said, the only thing I can't talk about is my trip that I took to uh, the United States with Caroline because it makes me so sad. And I said, well, why? Um, I mean, after all she's been through, that that's the saddest thing for her. And she said, because I, everyone was so wonderful to us, it really saved our lives because they were they were in such bad medical shape, and America just embraced them. Embraced them. So it was really lovely. And she said she didn't want to go home. She wanted to be an actress and stay in New York because they visited Hollywood. And um, she said it was the saddest day of her life when she had to go home. So I think that their trip to America was really good for the United States as well as for them because they stayed with families all over. They stayed for a year, and um, it, it really changed the people that came in contact with them. How has telling this story changed you? Oh, that's such a great question. I, um, I, I feel like I kind of absorbed Caroline, and I now, I look for things to do. Uh, she always did the right thing, and she didn't have to. And I, I, I find myself doing the same thing where I'm looking for things that I can do for other people. And it's such a wonderful feeling because I always wanted to do that, but I was always too shy. And now I have no, I have no problem um, walking up to someone that needs help or, or um, uh, you know, talking to someone who I think is, is doing something that's hurting other people. And it's so liberating. It may be because I'm getting older, but I think it's, it's Caroline's influence. It sounds as if there's a part of her spirit that now lives in you. Absolutely. And I think that, actually, I know this is crazy, but I think I was somehow inhabited on that day when I went to her house because I felt so different and it never left me. I still feel that way. It's, it's, it's really wonderful. So you've relocated to Atlanta now after having lived in Connecticut. I'm told that you're working on your next project. Is that something that you can talk about? Oh, absolutely. It is uh, a prequel. And it's the same three-person narrator. And instead of Caroline, it's Caroline's mother, Eliza, who is a big favorite of readers. Um, They love her in the book. So she did a lot of work with the White Russians. um, uh, And you're not talking about the drink. (gasps) No. Oh, I didn't even think about that. The... (laughs) Maybe with the uh, with the drink, I don't know. But she did a lot of work with these uh, the former aristocrats uh, that were displaced by the Russian Revolution, and um, some of that is in this book. But I I um, go back to World War One in book two, and um, I have book three planned as well. That is Caroline's great grandmother, and that happens uh, takes place during the Civil War. When can we expect? the the second book to to hit bookstores well that is a good question uh are you still knee deep in research no well i i research as i'm writing so yes i'm going to russia in a in a few days to research but um it is with my publisher right now they're reading it and seeing what they think so i i would think 2018 would probably be a good um estimate the paperback for this book for lilac girls comes out uh this spring okay so then the following (coughs) the following year, I would 
hope we would have. So you t- you wrote this amazingly wonderful story, and and essentially you're telling me you scored a three book deal out of this, didn't you? Well, I don't want to be too hasty. I'm knocking on wood. I mean, that would be really great. And I love my publisher. It's it's Ballantine, uh, which is an imprint of Random House, and they they're just you know hit it out of the park with this book. So uh, that would be that would be really nice. Uh, I, I I really want to showcase that family, uh, Caroline's family. The Wolseley women were just in, incredible. And uh, I, I, they came over on the Mayflower originally, very philanthropic. Again, they had the money to do whatever they wanted, but they, um, they were staunch abolitionists. They um, were nurses on the Gettysburg battlefield. I mean, they were really incredible women. So I just, I can't wait to tell everybody about them. What is it? that you want readers to take away uh, after they finish page 487 of Lilac Girls? Oh, goodness. You know, I didn't write it intending, like, to have a message. I mean, there was one little tiny message in there that I um, I was hoping people would pick up on. But in general, I just told the story. But from what readers are telling me, um, it's really interesting. It's like a mirror to see back what they think of the book. And a lot of people are saying that it, it has helped them with difficulties in their own lives because Kasia, the Polish girl, goes through such uh, such a tremendous amount of suffering and dealing, you know, I, I deal with the aftermath of the war too. Many books stop at the end of the war, but I stay in um, communist Poland and how she got through that and how them coming to the United States helped them and how confronting her problems helped her too. Um, and many, many readers have been reaching out to me. Almost every day I get emails saying, thank you for helping me with um, my own situation. And uh, one woman said that um, she had lost a child at Sandy Hook. And um, she said, this book um, helped me get through that. And uh, I, those are the kind of emails that make it all worthwhile. You had no idea you would be able to have this much impact, did you? No, no idea. I figured if, you know, I'd have to beg people to read it. So it's really, it, it says a lot about people in general that they would be um, willing to spend, a, you know, it, it takes a while to read a book and that they would dedicate time to that. So I'm really grateful to readers. If folks want to pick up a copy of your book, how do they get it? Wherever books are sold, and um, I really like to try and get people to support independent bookstores, uh, but you can find it everywhere. And when you get this feedback, you said you got an email, how do readers reach out to you and give you feedback on your story? Oh, um, MarthaHallKelly.com is my website, and there's a, a little place on there where you can contact me, and uh, I, I get right back to people because I love hearing what they think about the book. The book is Lilac Girls, the author Martha Hall Kelly. They told me you were delightful, and I must agree. And the book is fabulous. Congratulations. Thanks so much. Thank you. Perspectives is a half hour we produce with you in mind. If there's something you think we ought to be talking about, let me hear from you. Tweet me, condo 29 on Twitter, or leave a message on our Facebook page. We do appreciate your listening and hope you'll be back next week at this same time as we examine another perspective.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.